Hello, everyone, and welcome to our fifth episode of Take It or Leave It. I'm Josh Seidman, and as always, I'm joined by my wonderful colleague and co-host, Meg Toth. Meg, I don't know about you, but the first half of February feels like it's been flying by, sending folks good vibes as we make our final push towards spring. Have you felt this way, too? Yeah, definitely. And especially because it's Olympic season and I'm kind of an Olympic nerd. There's always something to watch, you know, some breaking news to keep up with. And especially this year, I can't get enough of Chloe Kim and the devastation (laughs) that Michaela Schifrin is going through. I was basically crying during her her press conference the other (laughs) night. And then, you know, with uh, Sean White and his retirement and and all that stuff. Yeah, just a lot to keep up with. And and clearly, maybe I need a hobby or two once the Olympics are over. Uh, But yeah, definitely (laughs) February is going by so fast. Yeah, no, I, I agree, Meg, about the Olympics completely. It has all been so exciting. You know, I, I think one of the reasons we get along so well is that we're both really into sports, you know, athletics, staying fit, uh, and the Olympics, like you said, have given us so many great storylines to just keep us, you know, in, in tune and keep us in trends. Having, you know, major sporting events on is always such a big deal for me. It puts me in a better mood because, like you said, there's always something on to watch. There's drama. There's excitement. Uh, last month, we had the Australian Open. This month, we're twice as lucky because we have the Olympics and the Super Bowl. So really, I mean, a very fast-moving month for sure. And beyond all of the amazing professional athletes and their great accomplishments, we also saw a major recent development in the paid leave world this month, specifically in California. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Even though we've you know, been distracted by all of these sporting events, after much anticipation and expectation, California has finally enacted its third iteration of its statewide COVID-19 supplemental paid sick leave mandate. I can't believe we're even at a point where there's a third iteration of a COVID paid (laughs) sick leave law. But, you know, that legislation was formally signed on February 9th, making the law effective 10 days later, uh, February 19th. And don't forget, California employers out there, that the mandate is retroactive until January 1st of 2022. Just crazy. Yeah, I know. That, that's right, Meg. It, it feels like it was just yesterday we got to say goodbye to the 2021 version of this California COVID leave law. And I guess, I mean, it was, it was September 30th of 2021, so that was over four months ago. There was a little bit of a break, but it barely feels like business has got any reprieve here. I'm getting such major deja vu, um, lots of questions flying around. And it's important for our listeners to remember that the 2022 version of this mandate has some important differences from the 2021 version. We'll be unpacking this topic and COVID paid leave laws more generally in one of our upcoming Take It or Leave It episodes. So for those of you who are interested, stay tuned. There will be more coming your way very soon. Yeah, that's definitely going to be a good one. And we actually have another great topic today, and we're really excited for today's episode. We're going to be welcoming two of our preeminent international labor and employment attorneys for the first of our international leaves of absence and accommodations discussion. So I think this is going to be the first of many great international discussions that we get to hear. Yes, yes, indeed. And I I am so pumped for today's episode. You know, Meg, as you know, uh, I absolutely love to travel, especially internationally. And while this isn't quite the same as actually planning out a trip abroad, anytime we get to venture outside the red tape of America's paid leave patchwork, I get excited, I get relieved, because we're going to learn about how other countries have navigated leave and time off issues what's working for them, what's not working, what we can take back home to try to untangle or maybe not untangle necessarily, but at least simplify some of the current mess that's facing domestic employers. Definitely. And and I am, am particularly excited for this episode because I love any opportunity we get to collaborate with our amazing international colleagues. For today's episode, we are so lucky to have the pleasure of welcoming Dan Waldman and Anna Sid to talk us through 
high-level international paid time off considerations, particularly involving the topic of unlimited paid time off. Dan and Anna are both partners in CIFRAC's International Employment Law Practice, which is the world's largest specialist practice of its kind, with experience covering more than 170 countries, acting for some of the world's largest multinational companies on a global, regional, and local basis. Yeah, Meg, such a special and impressive practice group here at CIFAR, you know, and as are our guests. Here's a bit more about Dan and Anna. Dan advises companies by helping them translate corporate strategies into actionable tactics at a country-by-country level. Dan spent five years in-house as Global Employment Council, has an extensive background in strategic human resource management, including an advanced degree, and decades of experience starting and running various businesses. Dan views his role as that of an international workforce architect. He has a passion for solving complex challenges involving multiple countries with complex people matters. Dan has worked extensively in connection with high-value corporate events. He has implemented multi-country outsourcing transactions, including compliance with laws regarding dispatch workers, staff leasing, and joint employment. Dan has negotiated commercial contracts implicating employment law matters. He has also advised clients on implementing global cost-cutting and efficiency undertaking, including modifications to compensation, benefits, and working time. In addition, he has managed harmonization of global portfolio of employment documents, e.g. handbooks and policies. Anna has extensive experience advising national and international corporations on a wide range of international employment legal matters with a special focus in Europe, the Middle East, Africa, and Latin America. Spanish qualified, Anna has extensive experience working across borders for complex multinational clients. She has a particular focus on company restructuring and collective redundancies, employment terminations, modification of employment terms and conditions, policies and employee benefits, labor implications and company takeovers and spinoffs, and senior management relationships. Dan, Anna, welcome to you both. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having us, Josh and Meg. Yeah, thank you. Super happy to be here. I'm actually a number one fan of your podcast. I think you're doing an amazing job by helping navigate all this set of rules in a very easy to understand way. So thrilled to be here and also super happy to work with my colleague, Dan. Thank you so much. It's always great uh, to hear that. We, have, we actually have fans. <laughs> we, we got a fan. We got one, at least. You've <laughs> got two. You've got two. Don't leave me out of this. <laughs> oh, it's all great. <laughs> well, it's great to have you. And, and after that very impressive recitation of your resumes, I'm just astounded and even more excited. So we wanted to kick this off, um, sort of asking you about maybe if you have a favorite country or region outside of the U.S. in terms of international employment law counseling, or, or maybe just a country or two that you find yourself counseling in the most. Well, for me, it's an obvious one. Um, I'm a Spanish myself, Spanish qualified. So let's say Spain is like my comfort zone. I feel very comfortable working in my country. So whenever there's an international project that has a Spanish component, I'm really happy to jump in and advise on on my country. But other than this obvious one, I would say that Latin America, uh, all the regions like from Mexico down, I feel really comfortable advising them. Uh, Our friends there are just amazing. And and there are ongoing relationships that I have with them, with our colleagues in Latin America countries are are really good. So I, I particularly enjoy that region for obvious reasons, I guess, culturally, language makes it, makes it easy for me as well. So that's kind of my main preference. But other than that, you know, any country in the world has a challenge and, uh, and it's really interesting to work in different locations as well. That's awesome. How about you, Dan? 
Well, you know, that's a great question. And I'll tell you this, I think the countries and areas that are most interesting to me are probably the novel ones when something new has come up. So be it space, we've had space questions come up about what about employment law in space. We've had questions about Antarctica, which is complicated, definitely beyond the scope of this, uh, this podcast today. So when these novel questions jump up, man, I, I love it. I just love it. Yeah, that, that is, I mean, fantastic to both of you. I know uh, a story for a different day, Anna, but I, I actually met my wife in Spain. So Spain has sort of a special place in my heart. Get, get into that on, on a different podcast episode. And then I'm a huge space nerd. Um, I, I'm just like, is there a low Earth orbit set of international employment laws or something out there? You know, I uh, I never even thought about that. I would I would love to pick your brain at a, at a different time, too, about, about all the uh, the questions you're getting about space. That is fascinating. Another question for you two, in terms of countries or regions, you know, that you sort of see are head and shoulders more complicated from an employment law perspective than others. You know, everyone knows here in the U.S., California kind of sets the table as being the most complicated, the most unique from an employment law perspective. Is there an international California that you guys have seen based on your practices? Well, uh, (laughs) you know, I I, I grew up uh, as a California employment lawyer for the first 10 years or so of my career. And so I I definitely identify with this. And I think there are the obvious countries internationally that are are really challenging for employers, particularly U.S.-based multinationals. And of course, uh, France comes to mind always. And, And the reason is the processes are complicated and there are so many different governmental and other social organizations with skin in the game regarding employment that there can often be surprises as you're as you're managing employment law issues in France. It's not always very predictable. I'd say Japan is a complicated jurisdiction because termination of employment in Japan is, although on paper one might see that there are grounds for termination in the labor laws, in fact, it's next to impossible. And so that's complicated too. But to answer your initial question, where is the California of the world? There is one, and we're, we're all in it right now. I think the United States is the California of the world. And uh, the reason that is, is folks in the U.S. may not quite realize that with employment at will in the United States, which does not exist virtually anywhere else in the world, it means that all of the employment laws otherwise are viewed and managed entirely differently everywhere else in the world. So from a global standpoint, I'd say we are it. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I have the same feeling. So from a non-U.S. trained perspective, which is mine, when you listen about employment at will, it's like, okay, so the parties have the will to have an employment relationship. And whenever that will goes away, the relationship ends. So, you know, you have all the flexibility and what's not to like from an employer perspective. Everything is just super easy compared to, you know, all these protection tem- against termination rules in the other places in the world. But then uh, when I got closer to the regulations here in the U.S., you know, the benefits are super complicated. Well, actually paid. <laughs> I'm off. And paid leaves are also quite complex. Misclassifications, damages claims. So, it's not easy at all. It's not as simple as it would look from a first approach when you see employment at will and everything's like, okay, so, you know, you just do whatever you want. 
well, it's not really like that. So there's a lot of things that are over regu- overly regulated and that uh, you have to know the rules to avoid relevant and pretty important risks. So, yeah, I fully agree with Dan. Probably the U.S. is the California of the world. <laughs> Lucky us. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. And I think a lot of our clients outside the U.S., when they're first coming into the U.S. market, at first they feel like they've been freed and they're like, employment at will? We can do whatever we want whenever we want. And then we're like, well, yeah. But then there's all this other stuff that's way more complicated than like than anything you've ever seen before. I think that was a great segue sort of into the main topic or main focus of the episode today, which is the paid time off. So, and I know you mentioned the complications, Anna, that that everybody sees in the U.S., but what are some of the key differences at a high level between international and domestic leaves of absence and time off laws from your perspective? That's a great question. Outside the U.S., I wouldn't say infinitely easier, but considerably easier because all of the standards for uh, vacation, all of the standards for sick leave, these things are all set forth in labor codes and they're clear and how they integrate with one another are clear. And that's, I think, a, a pretty fundamental difference between the U.S. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you ask me what are the rights or what are the provisions in any country, you would just look at what the laws are, look at the collective agreements in the countries that have those. And there you will have the answer. So, you know, it's an advice that we can easily include in an email. It's something that you just go there, there's rules. Sometimes it might be a bit more complicated because there's definition or differentiation on who's paying. Is it the employer who's paying the time off? Is it the state through Social Security or the insurance, the one who's paying the the time off? But other than that, you know, the regulations are kind of easy, accessible and pretty much clear. And, you know, Anna, that's a, those are great points. And it, it seems to be a good opportunity to, to point out some of the different terminology that we may throw around here. In the U.S., we talk about PTO, which I think it had its origin in the idea of let's take vacation and sick leave and throw them together into one bucket. And obviously that's why, you know, it's, and it's extraordinarily complicated, which is why we are here. But outside the U.S., PTO is not a term that's that's used. It's really entirely a U.S. term. Outside of the U.S., you'll hear about vacation and synonyms for vacation are things like annual leave, holiday, and sometimes holiday can be confusing for obvious reasons. And where here in the U.S., we talk about public holidays. Uh, you, you do hear about public holidays or bank holidays abroad as well. So if you hear us throwing around any of those terms, hopefully you'll you'll understand what we mean. Yes, we, we, we definitely will. And, and guys, that background had so much great information in there. It, it really is interesting thinking about the, the nuances of the U.S. system versus you know, the way that other countries handle their, their leave components. And, and I think the topic we're going to turn to and focus on for the next part of today's discussion can drive home some more of these differences, right? The, the concept of unlimited paid time off. At the domestic U.S. level, unlimited PTO, you know, it can be known by many names, routine time off, flexible time off, self-managed PTO, among others. But what it generally refers to is a paid time off setup where eligible employees don't accrue paid time off. They're not provided with a set amount of paid time off per year. And because that time off isn't earned or accrued, 
they, there generally is no rollover at year end, no carryover, no payout at separation. Uh, instead, workers are permitted to use the time at their discretion as they need to, to have a good work-life balance, as long as they meet their professional obligations and projects and deadlines and things don't get dropped. Is that how this concept, I mean, is there a concept of unlimited paid time off internationally? And if there is, does it sort of fit that, that mold I just described at the U.S. level? Yes, yeah, so we've seen that uh, concept and the, basically coming from U.S. corporations uh, trying to apply the model, but it doesn't really apply mm -hmm. easily or automatically or, let's say, naturally to any country outside of the U.S. And uh, to explain this is basically first on the notion of concepts. There are different concepts. On the one hand, you might have the holiday, vacation, or rights, or other pay timeouts that you might have to take care of your family or some other triggering factors. And on the other hand, you have the sick leave. And that, in most of the countries, is just granted because you're sick. So you would have a doctor that provides for that. And in some countries, the payment is not even from the employers. It might be coming from an insurance, from a social security, or from the state. So it's not really something that the employer has any interference of. Some countries would have an obligation to top up part of the salary or to pay for a few short period or maybe longer periods. You know, it's something that is kind of managed separately. But if so, leaving mm -hmm. the sick leave aside, if we think about other paid leave entitlements, then the issue that I see these in giving unlimited time off or unlimited paid time off, the issue that I see is going back to the notion of then a paid leave, if you want to grant that outside of the U.S., the main issue is that first, there's minimum statutory rights. And second, there will be some triggering factors that give the employee right to take some time off. So even if you say, you know, just take whatever leave you want, that might not be applicable in many countries because the employer will have not only the obligation to provide the time off that is granted by the regulation, by the law, statute, collective agreement, but also it might have an active obligation to make sure that the employees take the time off. They might have to send reminders or to set up the holiday to make sure the employees book for the time off from a health and safety perspective. So it's not really that obvious to say, okay, I just give you all the holiday you want and you go and manage yourself and I'm released from having to process that or to manage that. You will have other obligations depending on the country. And then secondly, you know, there's this cultural aspect of, you know, employees would take the time off and they would take the holiday. And that, if you give unlimited right to pay time off, that means that you might be creating a more beneficial condition, an acquired right that we call it in you know, most of the jurisdictions, and especially if you law jurisdictions, well, you will see that becomes part of the contract of the employees and you cannot easily take that off. So imagine if we see a situation where an employee is taking six or eight weeks off because, you know, you said unlimited, so why not? I just take eight weeks off. And, that's, you know, it's the same time where my kids have the um, school holiday, so I will just take the same time. Obviously, production might not be as good for that employee, but, you know, it's really difficult. And I see, I see a case where, you know, the employer would say, well, you know what, I have to manage your performance or I want to terminate your contract because your productivity has gone down because you've taken eight weeks off. And that was totally unreasonable. And the employer would say, what, what, listen, you gave me an unlimited right. And that was an acquired right that I took when you granted it to me. So, you know, what the, I did nothing wrong. You, you've created a, a right for me, an expectation of right for me, 
And therefore, you know, there's nothing the employer can do first to manage the performance of the lack of production of these individuals. And second, there's nothing the employee can do to take that away because it's being granted as a more beneficial condition. So, I, you know, the implementation of this practice, I see some countries where this could become really problematic and really not natural at all. And also because of, again, going back to that notion of employees would take the time off. So, you know, if you give it, then, you know, what, what happens? What would you do if they actually take it? Anna, that is a great point. Two, two really great points. And I want to underscore something you just said from a U.S. standpoint, this question about an acquired right. Well, w- what do we mean by that? In the U.S., we tend to look at at-will employees as sort of their terms are generally changeable by the employer at any time with or without cause, notice, or reason, subject to some limitations about takeaways for compensation. But outside the United States, that's not the case. There's sort of um, an understanding that the employment relationship is based on this sanctity of contract principle, and it, it kind of comes from a a social concept. The social concept is that outside of the United States, employment is viewed as as an essential element of the social safety net for, for people in the country. And so for that reason, employees are protected in their jobs, means they're protected from termination, they're protected from their terms and conditions changing. And so when we hear U.S. employers say things to us like, this is so frustrating, Dan, why do these people in name the country act like they're so entitled? And my answer to them is they act like they're entitled because they are entitled. It is a really important cultural difference from the U.S. Once somebody is employed, once they've passed whatever the statutory probationary periods are in most countries of the world, they have now a legal right to that employment at the terms you've given them without those terms being reduced. So the point Anna made about, well, if somebody's taken eight weeks per year on an unlimited PTO policy... And then you say to them in, in year three or four, you know, this is a really busy year. Really, we need you in the office. Like, you can't take half of July and all of August off again. We really need you here. I think as Anna and I discuss this issue, we think that we could picture courts in some countries saying, no, the employee has now obtained a new contractual right to all of that leave and then some. And So now you're trying to diminish their terms and conditions, something you can't do, employer. You are now in breach of their employment contract, which comes with lots of financial punishment, let's say, uh, in most places, and and certainly a lot of headache. Yeah, exactly. So modifying terms and conditions is not something that the employer can do automatically or, you know, unilaterally in most of the countries. It requires a process. It requires grounds. It triggers risk. So it sounds like from what you're describing here with this, you know, so no concept of at-will employment, and and once you provide this benefit, it's hard to sort of take it back or control the usage. Can you performance manage like we would in the U.S. for someone who's taking too much time under an unlimited PTO policy? Like, does that factor in outside of the U.S. at all? Not really. And I think it's going back to the concept like, you know, you've given unlimited PTO. So that is a right that you have volunteered to provide employees. So why? I mean, they're not performing wrong. They're not doing anything wrong. They're just using a right that you've given. So the fact is, when I see the unlimited PTO notion, I understand it from a U.S. perspective. It makes sense because, you know, 
if you exceed that right, if you're using unreasonably, there's going to be a consequences. We have employment at will, so your employment can be terminated. But outside of the U.S., it's not that simple. You need grounds for terminations, and for you have a protection against termination without a cause. So the cause cannot be you use your right that I gave you. So, you know, the employee can use it and using that right is not a ground for termination. Of course, there can be abusive situations. You know, the employee just going on PTO for eight months or 10 months or, you know, something really unreasonable. Maybe that is a case that be argued and defended and said, well, you know, you're just basically not working. So we gave you that right to give you more flexibility, not to, you know, lose you. <laughs> so so that um, would make sense. But if the use is more reasonable and closer to the statutory provisions, so if, if the statutory provisions are four weeks off and the employee takes six, I really don't see that performance management would work and clearly not determination because they have done nothing wrong. They have just been using that right. So it's all going back to this culture of not employment at will means that employees have this right, as Dan was explaining, but they will use those rights because they can. And there's no notion of, you know, uh, things might go wrong, I might lose my job. Not, not really. I mean, they're just using a right that you've given them. So that's why it's, I see the implementation might trigger consequences that are not really desired by the employer when they're thinking about these type of benefits or policies for, for employees having unlimited PTO. You know, and culturally, in the U.S., there's, for folks in most companies who are upwardly mobile and working, working hard to succeed in their organization, there's a real stigma about using your accrued vacation. And U.S. employees are notorious for not using it. But like, this mm. is not the case outside the U.S., People, employees have their vacation, they are going to take it, and they are going to enjoy it. And nobody's going to feel bad about it. There's no stigma attached to taking your entitlement. So there's a real cultural difference. Yeah, yeah. And I see that also coming from a non-U.S. background. Definitely. It is a cultural difference. People take holidays outside of the U.S. and they're not ashamed to do that. Everyone takes it. I mean, that might be for senior positions, general managers, that might be checking their emails from their beautiful villa in the Mediterranean Sea or wherever they are. That can happen, but they take the time off. Everyone does. And as I said, in some countries, it's even an obligation for the employer to make sure they're taking the time off. Otherwise, they run into additional risks. They have an active duty to request the employees to take it. So that is stigma. I don't see that outside of the U.S. Right, Anna. And, and I think that that last point you made is, is a really good one. And so it comes back to this concept of even if an employer has rolled out one of these unlimited PTO policies for its U.S. workforce or certain members of its U.S. workforce, it sounds like what you both have been saying is rolling out that same type of policy internationally to some of your international employees wouldn't allow the employer to avoid the specific country's minimum time off regulatory statutory benefits. And in fact, to the point you just made there and at the end, the employer might actually be obligated to say, hey, worker, you have to take these benefits, you know, in some cases. Is, is that correct? Oh, yeah. It, it is correct. And I mean, you know, it comes to mind. Uh, it reminds me of something from my days as a California practitioner. I remember a client once asked, uh, well, we want to we want to have a shutdown in December. We've never done it before. Can we do that? And at the time, there was this really strange interpretation of the Division of Labor Standards Enforcement's guidance about 
how far in advance one might need to give notice to an employee before you can force vacation. And at the time, the thinking was it might be as long as nine months. And so, like, that's crazy. It's, it's, it's really difficult to manage. But then when you look north of the border, for example, to Canada, in Canada and most of the provinces in Canada, it's the employer's obligation to make sure employees take it. And that obligation is so serious that an employer can force you out on vacation with just two weeks advance notice. So if we start getting to the end of, of a year and I see that Anna Sid has not taken all of her vacation in Vancouver, I'm going to say, listen, two weeks from today, you're off for a week. And that's that. And that's actually me as an employer fulfilling my obligation. I, I mean, ideally, you don't want to force people to take vacation at a time where they don't want to, but if they're not taking it, you're actually required to force them to take it. Very different, obviously, than here. Wow. So if a country's paid vacation, paid holidays, paid sick time, et cetera, cannot be avoided or sort of circumvented by an employer providing this unlimited paid time off concept, like here's all the time you need, take it, but now we don't have to follow these other laws. Is there any real benefit to an employer adopting this type of policy for its international employees? I'm sure Anna will also have thoughts about this, but I'd say the only benefit is for employers who really are, are keen to make their administrative lives more difficult. Because unless you're looking to make your life more difficult, it'll become very difficult to administer because in each country, you'll be tracking all of these statutory requirements, as Josh underscored a moment ago about annual leave vacation, sick leave, and these other entitlements. And then once those are all exhausted, only then would this notion of unlimited PTO even matter. It wouldn't even enter anyone's consciousness until then. So even though I'd say our international department is sort of in the business of making it easy for companies to act with their single brain, right? Their single C-suite and their board, and they make a single decision and they want to have a single approach globally as a, as a company on whatever it is. When it comes to this particular issue, an unlimited PTO policy is a creature of American uniqueness and the fact that we are the California of the world. And it's really hard to extrapolate that concept onto the laws of other countries. And so I don't see an upside other than employers who just want to have a single approach. But the quid pro quo for that will mean lots of administrative haranguing to keep it on track. Yeah, I agree. I fully agree. And to be honest, the administrative requirements will have to be complied no matter what. So you will have to make sure that the laws in the country to take minimum holiday or to take the sick leave are processed. And again, as I said, you know, the, the process of the sick leave is defined very differently country by country. And the state might have to be involved because they're making payments. So really, it's not so easy and straightforward. The only reason I would say is, you know, you want to be a very generous employer. You could do that, but that will not relieve the administrative requirements country by country to look at this specific obligation. And also it can trigger some undesired consequences that we have mentioned before. Well, that's great, Dan and Anna. Thanks for that insight. And I, I guess it sounds like, I mean, are there any reasons from your perspectives, why an employer might want to provide unlimited time off to some of its international employees, you know, any benefit that they get from doing that. It sounds like there might not be much, if any. And I know in the States, one of the reasons companies tend to maybe lean toward this type of program 
this to help remedy the patchwork of, of state or local laws. Could that come up in, in any context internationally? Other than maybe a few international jurisdictions that have similarly localized laws, and, and what comes to mind immediately, of course, is Canada, which we just discussed, India, for the most part, most countries in the world tend to have these standards set out at a federal level, and there isn't all of this patchwork of laws. Yeah, I, I fully agree with what Dan has explained. And, you know, we, we're seeing some companies doing it, maybe in some specific sectors where they want to, you know, provide additional benefits to the employees and saying, you know, you, we know you work really hard. We're not going to look after how many days you're taking. You can take as much as you want. And that is fine. But just to be like a nice employer taking care of its employees, not because they want to simplify processes and make their lives easier, to be honest. It's very, very interesting. All of this discussion was just fascinating. I know I learned a lot about other countries and about maybe how other countries view the U.S. So thank you so much, Dan and mm-hmm. Anna. We mm-hmm. really appreciate it. Thanks very much for having us. Thank you so much. And and to our listeners out there, thanks for tuning in again. Another great episode, and we hope you will tune in for our next one.